coach, oh, Coach Ed Ogeron, I'm still coach. And, uh, you know, drunk neighbor, I'm sorry about them, them Astros. I mean, you know, I'm a Yankees fan. I still don't like them, but uh, I hate Atlanta more. You know, it's not good. But I mean, don't worry. You know, I'm always next year for some ass whippings. You know, you know, I'm listening to Bobby Abe right now. <laughs> he getting crunk. He be, he be, he be for him and uh, Mike Dettelier and all them. You know, but I'm Coach O. I'm getting paid. I'm getting laid, baby. Everything's good, you know. Good in the hood. And, uh, you know, just uh, keep your head on up. Everything's going to be all right. Uh, Coach O will give you a motivational speech if I need to. But right now, I know you're going to be all right. Go Tigers. Take it sleazy. Drink some of your Gentleman Jack. You're going to be all right. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 73, In the Den. I'm your host, Danny Belts, 25 and 17. <clears throat> Against the spread, I'm fighting something right now, so bear with me. We're going to recap last week. The Raiders are back in the news. Unbelievable. The Saints, Bucks, aftermath. College football playoff rankings. The Virginia election. Wow, Yunkin is in. James Carvel pops off on the woke, the raging Cajun. Omar, Ilian Omar, triples down, if you can believe that or not. Believe it. We'll talk about it. The Rock is an absolute cuck. Dwayne Johnson, absolute cuckold. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be out this week, which presents one of the more unbelievable NFL setups here, which we're going to talk about that in depth, particularly to match up Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers now taking heat for not you know, getting the vaccine, he wanted to do something. Either get the vaccine or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, look at the press secretary. She gets vaccinated once every six hours. She's got COVID for days. So it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever. <laughs> it makes for uh, quite the narratives, though, <clears throat> doesn't it now? So let's just jump right into the deep end here. 25 and 17. So we took the over in the Rice game at 56, 13 points in the first half. They left 10 points on the field easily in that first half. Go look at the amount of first downs and yards in this game. If you ever want to gauge an over-under, go look at yards and first downs. And when you start having yards around, like I don't know, 900, usually that could go over like 70. Um, but this didn't. Now it went to overtime, 48 up now. So we have, excuse me, 24 up, 48 points. So here we are. The only way we lose is if Rice doesn't score first. Rice gets the ball first and they don't score. <laughs> And then North Texas scores a touchdown. We lose by one. Uh, what a joke. If they just kick a field goal, we're in this. They missed the field goal. Miracle. Just a ridiculous bad beat. Nebraska over 52. Well, you want to talk about points left on the field, go look at Nebraska. Martinez. What did I say he couldn't do? He cucked big time. Uh, four, four picks, two in the red zone, one in the end zone. Who's counting? And then Nebraska scores a touchdown at the end, and they're going to kick an extra point to push this at 52, and he misses the extra point. Lose that by one. Should have been an easy win. We stayed away from Wyoming and Hawaii. If you saw that on Instagram, we had some questions about that. We didn't post it. I decided to stay away. We did play Houston, who won in unbelievable fashion. They blow a huge lead, and Southern Millionaires ties the game at Houston. And Sonny Dykes, the biggest idiot that is employed today, I'm a huge critic of his, was at La Tech, was at Cal, and now will be when he takes over at Texas Tech sooner than later. 
kicks off to the most dangerous kickoff person nearly in the history of college football instead of squibbing it. And he goes to the house. His name escapes me. I should have had that written down. 103 yards. A walk-off basically touchdown. That gave us the win there. And the Saints come through with the win. We'll be talking about that, the aftermath. Uh, This is going to be probably the most interesting week in the NFL if you're into certain narratives. We don't really get too deep into the NFL, but we don't have a choice because there's so much going down. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. I'm serious. Go on there. Give us a review. All right, We need it. Give us five stars. Reach out. Touch a brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antidote. Go and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote or me at Danny underscore belts with a Z. And once again, reach out and touch a brother. Tell someone about the Sports Antidote. Tell strangers when you travel. That's what I do. This is grassroots, bitch. That's what this is. Okay, so I'm sure it's all news now. Ruggs III gets, well, his life is over. If you didn't know, the speedy receiver for Oakland, after, you know, losing their coach, he was outspoken against the air quotes racist. Of course it was racist, what Gruden said, but, I mean, come on. I mean, well, we talked about it before. You know, just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So Ruggs gets caught going about, what, a buck fifty? Um, two times the legal limit, kills a woman and his dog and her dog. Um, just an absolute disaster. I saw that car. She was still alive, and they could not cut the seatbelt in time, and the fire came. It's like a scene out of a movie. It's like that scene, that movie um, Traffic, where uh, she gets pulled out of the car right before it explodes. Matt Dillon pulls her out of the car. Or was it tra- No, it wasn't Traffic. It was uh, whatever. The movie, the movie that had like 20 different narratives in one. Boy, I'm really going off the cuff here. <laughs> I forgot. One of, whatever it was, Traffic. I don't remember. Good movie. But he pulls her out of the car, saves her life. It's that smoking hot, light-skinned black chick. She was married to Terrence Howard in the movie. And um, the cop was Matt Dillon, played a big racist or whatever. And then he ends up saving her. And it was, yeah, whatever, good movie. But the point is that it kind of happened just like that. From what I read, what a disaster. This dude's life, you talk about life changing. This just goes to show, man, every, you don't know what's around the block. Every time you make a decision like this to just get drunk at some outing, one of my buddies sent me something. The NFL offers free rides. It's like luxury Uber. They offer free rides. The NFL so against, they're so sick of the drunk driving. They'll pick you up in like an Escalade if you have 20 of your friends. They'll pick you up in anything. All you have to do is call the NFL. There's like a hotline. They'll pay for it. But people still want to drive around drunk. It's just insane. And now he's going to pay the price. This is not a Dante Stallworth situation. Dante Stallworth hit a jaywalker. He blew a little over the legal limit at five in the morning in Cleveland years ago. And he just pled no contest. He played ball. He said, I'm guilty, threw his hands up, and he did 30 days, and he paid his fines, and he, there was civil restitution. But at the same time, this is nothing like that. This is unbelievable. And this man, not only, is his, not only will he not ever play football again, it'll be a long time before he gets out of prison. And Nevada does not take drunk vehicular homicide lightly, apparently. This is going to be bad. Uh, wow. I wish the best for the young man, but geez, make better decisions. My God. Saints Bucks aftermath. So, if you didn't see, you heard, you know by now, Winston went down a blatant horse collar by Devin White that wasn't called. A lot of people bitching about, oh, there was a lot of penalties on the boat. Yeah, there was because they kept roughing the passer. They kept hitting people in the head. They kept doing things against the rules. This is not Vietnam. There are rules. If you don't like it, leave. So yeah, there was a bunch of penalties. So anyway, Trevor Simeon comes in, the old Northwestern kid, hasn't had an offensive line since he played Pop Warner, and he played the part. But here's the thing. 
Here is the thing. Matter of fact, let's just play it. play right there the Saints disguised one of the more unbelievable bait and switch coverages you've ever seen Dennis Allen the Saints defensive coordinator down up by two points late up by two uh, decides to stack the line press coverage put the linebackers in between basically the defensive tackles and there's two safeties off the ball it was the most bizarre the middle was wide open it's the most bizarre formation you've ever seen Brady's licking his chops Instead of doing a slant, they tried to run a hitch. The Saints knew they were going to do it. They baited him. They picked it. P.J. Williams went to the house and effectively ended the football game. And the narrative is now that the receiver ran the wrong route. That's the same thing they said when Tracy Porter intercepted Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl and went to the house. They blamed that on Reggie Wayne. No, it was just an errant pass. Every time an elite quarterback makes a big mistake, they blame it on the black guy. <laughs> you ever notice that? It is pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's never the white guy's fault, really. And it, 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 Brady is, the Bucks are a gas bag. We've been all over them all year. They should have lost to the Cowboys. They should have lost to the Patriots. They got steamrolled by the Rams. The Saints kicked him in the face again with Trevor Simeon. And we're going to sit here and talk about, well, you're the, bu- the Bucks are garbage. They're not even that good. The Saints will win this division with Trevor Simeon. You heard it here first. We said they win a division before the season started. They're still going to win the division. They're better than Tampa. And they're going to beat them out there again. We'll be talking about that when the time comes. So instead of the narrative being Brady blows it, two picks, sacked four times, fumbled twice. Yeah, who cares, right? Two intentional groundings. No one even cares. It's, it's the black receiver's fault. No, it's Tom Brady's fault. He lost the game. And the Bucks are a gas bag. Cannot emphasize that enough. My God. And who do they play next, by the way? They played two good teams. They played three good teams. Dallas, they won that game because of a bunch of missed extra points. They played the Rams and got slaughtered. And the Saints are at one point were up by 17. They're just not good against good teams. They're really good against Utah State. They're really good against, I don't know, Kent State. But when it comes time to play a real team, forget it. Gas bag. I'll let Tommy Bench talk about the Virginia election. But even James Carvel popped off on this one. The Raging Cajun from CNN's Crossfire. <laughs> Remember that from old school? Uh, Carvel is a big liberal, but I mean, these days it looks as though he's almost not because the party continues to move so far left. They leave guys like James Carvel, political advisor for the Clintons, knows where all the bodies are buried, local here in Louisiana, an LSU graduate. Pretty good dude for all intents and purposes. I quote, we have to change this. We have to change this and not be about changing dictionaries and change laws, Carvel said. The faculty lounge people sit around mulling and I don't know what, they're not working. In other words, he's talking about these side discussions of what needs to happen and nothing comes of it. Then he goes to say, wokeness is a problem and everyone knows it. It's hard to talk to anybody today. And I talk to a lot of people in the Democratic Party who don't say this, but they don't want to say it out, who do say this, but they don't want to say it out loud. And translation there, even Carvel is over the wokeness. And the Democrat Party in the far left is going to woke their way right to a landslide in these primaries a year from today or a year from next week, or whenever, next November. Book it. Book it. And it won't be because anything that the Republicans have done. It'll be because of how stupid, ridiculous, 
unbelievably dumb the far left has gone to the point where now education was one of the biggest things, as Tommy Bench will allude to or talk about in Virginia, where people are sick and tired of critical race theory, both white, black, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, and independent. Don't tell parents what you're going to and not teach their kid, what you're going to and not going to. Instead of critical race theory, why don't we teach geography or civics, comprehension? When I was in school, we had something called critical thinking twice a week in English class where you had to, yeah, think critically. Instead of critical race theory, why don't we bring that back? Have kids use their brains. That's too much, right? Yeah. College football rankings, we'll just batch that in at the end before the main segment in the den. So bear with. The Rock now comes out and says, we're no longer going to have firearms in my, we're not going to have real firearms in my movie after what happened in the movie Rust with serial murderer Alec Baldwin. (laughs) We're not going to have real gu- Oh, thanks, Dwayne. What a cuck. This dude, he's so pathetic. He's another guy that just... I don't care that he voted for Biden. And yes, he doesn't want to be around certain people that have R's next to their name. And he's woke. And he'll cuck. Yes, you know, per usual. Like, what a great move, Dwayne. So now the wokies can check the box for you. It's just to do... He's so scripted. I've had a couple people meet the guy. He's just fake. He sucks. The Rock is done. And stop making Fast and the Furious. I heard the last one. I think Tommy Bench put it on on a plane. He he made it like halfway through. And Tommy Bench will watch a movie that's just called Boom. If there's explosions, he he and I can probably watch it. He couldn't even make it through. (laughs) Nice one, Dwayne. Loser. Actually, he's not a loser, but whatever. Ilya Nomar triples down. Triples down. She recently, after saying we need to, you know, holding the police's feet to the fire, saying that they're not fulfilling their oath after wanting to defund the police, she now says the left needs to get lefter. Go check this out. The Guardian reports, Ilyan Omar criticizes recent, excuse me, Democrat, Democrat, oh, what's that word? I can't even pronounce this word. Actually, it's misspelled. We'll just say coworkers. <laughs> it's not colleagues. What, are they going to have to write in this paper? Basically, she criticized everyone for not being woke enough, not being left enough. Wow. Even in the face of New Jersey almost having a Republican governor and Virginia who voted for Biden overwhelmingly, 14 double-digit points, now goes easily to the Republican. And you want to get woker? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how that works, Ilian. Go marry your brother. Oh, you already did that. I forgot. Anyway. College football playoff rankings came out. If you did not see, it is absolutely outrageous. This is an outrage. First off, we talked about Bama last week. I don't know. I'm not comfortable with them at number two. Most people, you shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, and they prop Texas A and up like they're good. They're not. We'll be getting to Bama shortly. <laughs> Just to think, this game used to be a thing. <laughs> LSU Alabama, not the last two years. Certainly not this year. Anyway, so. Alabama's number two, Georgia obviously number one, no problem there, Alabama two, all right, let's just go with it, whatever, I mean, I guess, okay, that's what you wanted, Michigan State with the huge comeback on the road last week, number three, they're undefeated, I have zero issue with that, I think they should actually be number two, and Bama should be number three, and Cincinnati should be number four, but no, Oregon is number four, Matt says it all, Oregon, who had a very, 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 very convincing and a very good win at the shoe at Ohio State. If you didn't know, even though it was done in a freak accident, lost to Stanford. And you can't lose to Stanford. They're garbage. 
Uh, but apparently now the NCAA selection committee is once again telling you that if you're not in the P5, you basically need to play Alabama out of conference and beat them. You know, they went to Indiana and won that game, did Cincinnati. Indiana was supposed to be a lot better than they were. It's not their fault. They went to Notre Dame, who's a top 10 team, and they beat them convincingly on the road. The Conference USA is down this year. Memphis is not as good. UCF is not as good. Even teams in the middle tier. Tulane has one win against Morgan State. Clearly, the, the, the Conference USA took a big step backward. And that's not going to matter much because most of these teams are, that I aforementioned, they're going to the Big 12 next year or the year after. doesn't matter. Point is that right now you are basically telling this is the same problem I have in college basketball when Murray State won 27 games nine years ago, 27 motherfucking games, and they lost in the semifinal in their conference championship, and they were a one seed in the NIT. Meanwhile, 18 and 10 Auburn gets a 12 seed. Bullshit. So once again, we're telling Murray State your regular season doesn't matter. You have to win your conference championship in these mid-majors, even though you almost had 30 wins featuring, and I, we talked about this, they won every conference game, every single one, 16-0 and 0 in conference. That right there, you should go on that, but no. So now Cincinnati is going to run the table. They didn't play well versus Navy, who we'll get to, who's healthy now, and Tulane decided to give them a game on an early Saturday morning, nasty day and down there in New Orleans. And Tulane, I mean, they was two-point two point lead at halftime, 14-12 Cincinnati, and Cincinnati handled business in the second half, but... What you're doing here is you're just you're discounting everything now, and you're only counting big wins. You're not taking into effect account that you simply cannot lose to Stanford. You simply cannot do this. And honestly, Oklahoma should be a – Oklahoma does not know loss. So until that team takes an L, you cannot put a team with a loss. You can't you, – honestly, you could make the argument Oklahoma should be ahead of Alabama, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, you could make the argument. But whatever. Right now, we're not, disc- we're not counting wins at all. It's just quality losses, apparently, for Alabama. And in Oregon State, it's a quality win, not a dog shit loss. I could do a whole show on that, but I won't. You get the picture. <clears throat> Rodgers is out. So this is huge. So we will be talking about I, – I can't wait to watch this football game. So I'm sure you know by now, Rogers has COVID, and yes, we all know what happened. The odds makers move the line, and you'll bet the Chiefs, and you'll cock, yes. It was basically a pick em of the Chiefs, one-point favorite, which I was going to take Green Bay anyway. The Chiefs are garbage. And then it shot up to eight and a half. It's down to seven and a half. Look, this is not a coincidence, okay? This is just, this is reality. The Chiefs, in their last 20 games, have covered three, Okay. They're three and seventeen ATS. All right, it, people are catching up to it now, and slowly but surely, all the little ancillary, the secondary parts on their team have gone away to free agency, and you clearly see what happens now. The Chiefs are battling to barely make the playoffs. All right, they should have lost to the Giants at home on primetime football, and the Giants had half their team, and they suck. The Giants ran them off the line on both sides of the ball. This is not a fluke. Okay, this is this is not something that is like, oh, it's a one. This has been happening to them into the playoffs last year, during the playoffs last year, and then the wheels fell off in the Super Bowl. You have no offensive line. You can't just throw to Tyreek Hill and Kelsey all day. They can't run the football. They can't protect Mahomes. The hits are adding up. He looks a little slower than he used to. Looks a little chunk, by the way. Danny Bells is down a few. Mahomes up a couple. That's all I'm saying. Looks a little chunk. That's all I'm saying. Doesn't look as spry. Not as spry as Granny and Bad Santa. <laughs> Fleet of foot, maybe, but at the same time, 
This is a, we are, oh, I'll just wait for the Molly music. But we'll probably be coming back to this game. Jordan Love is going to start. We have talked about that kid on this show since forever. I've been saying Blake Zappi. <laughs> I keep saying Blake Zappi. Bailey Zappi. We talk about quarterbacks no one's heard about on this show. We did it with Russell Wilson years ago in the transfer from NC State over there with the whole Wisconsin thing when he was even sitting there in the third round. I remember the first round we did a show on it like, what, are people crazy? Take this kid. Seattle backed into him because one of those coordinators wanted him. Pete Carroll didn't. He's an idiot. Anyway, so in this instance, or even before that, not in this instance, but Jordan Love is going to start. We talked about him when he played for Utah State. You know, we talked about Carson Wentz before anyone knew what he was. I was sitting there at my folks' house when they used to live in Philly with my brothers, my fiance. We're watching North Dakota State play South Dakota State. And this dude from North Dakota State throws a 72-yard post that hits someone in the chin strap in the back of the end zone. And I was like, did anyone just see that? <laughs> uh, that is not an NFL throw. That's an otherworldly throw. And then I started following him, and lo and behold, he's the second pick in the draft behind Jared Goff, and he's better than Jared Goff. Although Wentz has not been the same since the injury, I still feel... I wish he would come to the Saints. Oh, my God. Put Wentz with Sean Payton behind this offensive line and this scheme. My God, he would, he'd be an MVP candidate. Top five MVP. I, I, I almost can guarantee he'd be a candidate for MVP down here. So now Jordan Love's in, and this is going to be probably, in my opinion, uh, this is must-watch TV. So now you have what should have been before the season, a Super Bowl preview. Now is a team that, of course, the Packers have not lost since the Saints. Not only have they not lost, they've covered every week. They beat every team, and they beat the house. The Packers are the real deal. But if you notice, like a lot of my co- one of my buddies that lives in Green Bay, I have a lot of friends up there uh, for a couple reasons. But what he said, you know, it's not like Green Bay of the past. And he's right, where Rodgers had to make these acrobatic, unbelievable throws like he was kind of the original Mahomes. He's throwing it under his legs. He's rolling around, sidearm, diving throws. Now Rodgers just drops back, and he's throwing to wide-open people. They didn't have Lazard. They didn't have Adams against Arizona last week, and it was no problem. They're going to have all these guys this week. They have the biggest, most bruising running back in all of football, and they have a great offensive line. They are going to run the Chiefs out the gym with Jordan Love. Out the gym. Blowout. Yes, that's right. Blowout. But let's not get all into that yet. Let's save it for the Molly music. Into the den. Belts, what's into the den? I'm glad you asked. Yeah, here it is. The movie The Grey was unbelievable. Uh, some people didn't like it. I loved it. Uh, we did this three years ago, but not in this angle. Liam Neeson plays a guy that uh, is especially a professional wolf killer in Alaska who keeps the wolf off of the uh, oil workers. He's a sniper. And clearly he has issues throughout the movie as he put the gun in his mouth and almost pulled the trigger. And they keep having flashbacks between him and his wife, who we find out later is dead from cancer, as you find out in the end of the movie. And... As they're flying back to the mainland, the plane goes down. There's about 15 guys, and it becomes a survival movie. And basically, one by one, if the cold doesn't get you, the wolves inevitably do. It is a great movie. Uh, it's a pretty emotional movie, particularly at the end when he recites some poem that his dad used to read to him on the wall. Long story short, Liam Neeson's The Last Man Standing, of course, and he stumbles upon 
where the same wolves that have been terrorizing them, somehow he ends up in their den, in the middle of it. And all the, he sees the carcasses of all the dead animals and then the big, massive, you can see the picture on Instagram, the alpha male, the big black male, alpha wolf, comes down from that hill, basically tells the other wolves, get away, this one's mine, and they all scatter. Wolves are genius, by the way, one of the smartest animals that walk. Uh, the way they hunt, the way they communicate, orchestrate attacks. Uh, they are a, not an ambush hunter at all. They're the definition of a pack hunter. And man, it is something surreal to watch them hunt on you know YouTube and on television, the way that they can run. They can run up to 25 miles at 30 miles an hour. 25 miles. You're not getting away from them. They are built to absolutely kill. The long snout, the huge teeth, there's nothing on them but muscle, fur, and nails and teeth. I would know. In Colorado, one of my buddies and I wandered away from the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, and we, we saw a wolf. It ain't no coyote. It ain't no dog. They're big. They're very scary. And they're the most distinct growl, even more so than maybe a lion. I'm not sure. But this movie hit home for me. So at the end, it's a pretty emotional scene. He puts all the wallets down of all the people that survived, hoping that someone finds it one day and they know who died in that crash, in case they didn't have the manifest on the plane, he has a note that he wrote, puts it in his wallet, and then he gets to business. He straps about an eight-inch field knife to his hand, straps it around his wrist, and on the other hand, straps a bunch of broken glass mini bottles. He breaks them over a rock and tapes those to his knuckles. So now he's got a knife, he's got the broken glass, and the ending scene is he just lunges at the wolf and you don't see quite what happens. I'll tell you what happened. They both died. I mean, there's no way. I mean, Neeson, big dude, he certainly got a jab in with that knife and probably put those glass up there in the neck, but simultaneously probably got his throat bit off by the wolf and they both probably bled out. But there's no way that either of them walked away from that. Great movie. A great ending. I'm glad you asked. You know, there's that time in that movie... At the end, you can watch the final scene on YouTube. I just played a few seconds of it. When he realizes he's in the den, he realizes that he's going to die. I've never had that realization. And I hope never to. I I don't really want to know, like, this is it. It's good and bad, maybe, if you have to get your life right with God. I guess I have no idea. Hopefully no no one listening to this has ever had that, you know, instance. There's a couple instances where, I, I mean, I guess I could have been shot in the city, got robbed once, whatever. But, you know, never really nothing like that. And you know you're going to die, right? But he did the one thing that I would have done, and that's what most men would have done. Well, you ain't cucking me. You want to kill me? Guess what? You're going down. You're going down with me. I'll put this knife up so far in that neck. I'll put these glass bottles right behind it. And yeah, I'm dying, and so are you, my friend. And that is kind of the approach that he took. Stood up tall, proud. The final scene, you could do, you, you could do a, a whole thesis on this in life. Go watch it. Type in the gray final scene. It's three minutes. Go look at it. He stands up tall. Basically lets the wolf know, hey, pal, try not to drop the F-bomb these days. Fuck you. You want some? Let's go. And he took him head on. Head on. No running, no cucking. Mano a mano. Head to head. That's how you do it. That's what I would have done. And that's what most people listening to this would have done. What, are you going to run? You can't run. You fight. You have to fight. 
What the hell has happened to the LSU Fighting Tigers? <laughs> this is just something that is... They should do a 30 for 30 on this. And I say that in all honesty. This is... They compare it to the Auburn year with Gene Chizik and Cam Newton. This is nothing like that. That team only had a couple pros on it. Nick Fairley, another dude in the third round. Cam. Cam basically had the greatest year in the history of college football. Tim, Tim Tebow had some amazing years. But the, the Gators were stacked with... I mean, Pouncey, both of them, all these receivers, Harbin, James, Demps, uh, Rainey, Aaron Hernandez. I mean, just just loaded and loaded on defense. Auburn wasn't. This is way different. LSU just a couple years ago had the greatest season in the history of college football. They beat 10 teams in the top 25, five in the top 10, three in the top five. And they did it with the margin of victory around three touchdowns. And in the playoffs, they beat Oklahoma by 1,000. They scored 50 in the first half and then blew Clemson out. They were up by four touchdowns in Tuscaloosa before they Alabama put together some ragtag bullshit comeback with some onside kicks and busted coverage with Tua. But LSU led the whole game, dominated the whole game. Receivers, just Jamar Chase, Jefferson, are the defense. Devin, all these guys, just these animals on the, not Devin White, but on this football team. Stingley, the true freshman quarterback unanimous All-American as a freshman. The last time that happened was Woodson, 20-something years ago. The last time huh, the last time a non-Ohio State team won a national championship in the Big Ten was Michigan in 98. That's the year. Before that, 96, because he was a senior or a junior that year when he won the Heisman over Manning. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> anyway. But clearly... It's just, it's not something in the water. This is what happens when your coach loses sight of what's important. You know, in that movie, the guys lost sight of what was important. And instead of trying to get rescued, they focused more on surviving. You know, if you're, if you're trapped on an island, you have two decisions. You're going to try to survive or you're going to try to get rescued. You really can't do both. You can try to do both, but you shouldn't. You got to do one or the other. You're going to try to stay alive and focus on all of that or try to get off this goddamn island or get off this wilderness in the, in the movie's case. And LSU just, I just don't understand exactly how this happens. You have a coach that just lost sight, complete focus of what was important. It's playing and winning football games. Instead, there's posters or pictures of Instagram with him and all these chicks. The, the one that was naked that ran through like the frappening. Just, he divorces his wife. There's all this like shade. He's, we find out Coach O got a restraining order against one of the, somebody that he chased with his truck in Lafouche. The police were called. He hit on some alumni's wife, one of the big alumni. The alumni couldn't stand him. The players didn't even like him anymore. They lost respect for him. And he started bringing his 25-year-old girlfriend's brother and their high school football team into practice with the LSU. Like, how can you, this, isn't, this isn't a joke. This is SEC West football. You just want a national championship. Act like it. We gave him a pass for COVID, some terrible hirings for coordinators, and he did it again. Can't move the ball. The offensive line's terrible. How long is Deculus going to play for LSU? I feel like he's been there since Jerry DiNardo. God, he sucks. It's just insane what has happened. And Alabama rebounds, and here we are again. They're going to play for a national championship, of course. Nah, they came to Baton Rouge last year. They, don't, they have not forgotten what LSU did two years ago in Bama when they beat him. Coach O's like, fuck them, in the locker room, putting that on Instagram again, all these videos. These coaches don't do this. It's stupid. You don't see Nick Saban doing this, all right? That's the reason why. They're basically 
a class act. I hate to say it. The LSU has been the exact opposite of a class act. It's been a disaster. Alabama doesn't have these problems. And in this instance, I mean, right now, they even went to the recruiting section in the stadium telling those seniors there to come play for LSU. You don't think these Bama guys forgot that? Well, they haven't. Trust me. Coach O's got a chance. He's going to die. It's already done. He's done. He'll never coach again, and he shouldn't. And if he does coach, it'll be some embarrassing role. Maybe he can take over for UL Monroe after Bowden leaves. But at the same time, he's got a shot here. Even though LSU has no one, and even though they don't even have enough people to hold practice. So many people have opted out injuries and don't want to play. They can barely have practice. (laughs) It's not my how the mighty have fallen. This is something else. And yet the line sits at 28 and a half. I'll be honest with you, I thought it was going to be 38 and a half. And that's probably what it should be if you wanted even action. No one's taking LSU. Yet the line doesn't move. But Coach O is going to have his shot. He's in that line's den, staring at that big wolf. It's Nick. He's coming down. He's calling off the other wolves because he wants this kill himself. This one's on him. But just like Liam Neeson, he's got a chance. To ruin Alabama's season. Ruin it. And the way things are going with the eye test, what the committee has seen, (laughs) non-quality wins can really affect you. Go ask Cincinnati. And by the law of the land, if that's what they publicly stated, then they're going to have to have the same type of adjudication when it comes to the final result of the game Saturday in Tuscaloosa. I don't think they can win. I don't think they can stay within five touchdowns of these guys. But they might. And if this game's closer than it appears, boy, that would really hurt Alabama. It'd be nothing better than for Coach O to go out giving these guys a game. Because you ain't going to beat A&M. You ain't going to beat Arkansas. You certainly not going to beat Alabama. That don't mean you have to go out like a bitch. Strap that knife on, Coach. On your wrist. On your hand. Break those mini bottles, Coach. Tape them on your right hand. Stand up tall, tuck your shirt in, no rah-rah bullshit, stare that wolf in the face, and go right at him. Don't wait for them. Don't wait for them to come at you. Go. Go get them. You're gone anyway, brother. You're going to die, just like Liam Neeson. May as well go out and take them down with you. Hell, what happens if they do beat Alabama? I know that you're like, that's impossible. I, I think it is too. Honestly, no one's going to, no one I know is, is even considering LSU, which we're going to have to on this show, not because I'm an LSU fan, because of the contrarian nature in which we make picks on here, particularly myself. Take on the Instagram page for that one. We very well might be. I'm just waiting for it to get up in the 30s. I just don't know why it hasn't. Somebody has LSU out there. Otherwise, I'd, you know, it'd be up to five touchdowns. Every moron in the world is going to have Alabama first quarter, first half in the game, and they'll tease it and they'll cuck. Yes, we all know how that works. But one more time, man. God, if there's just any decency or any manliness or anything left to have the pride to put that uniform on the LSU Fighting Tigers, go out there and face these guys, at least do it eye to eye, tooth for tooth. Four quarters. As much as I hate that bullshit when they hold four fingers up in the fourth quarter, you're going to have to play four. You're going to have to play eight to beat this team. But I just want to see him hang with. We'll see Saturday. Keep it real, coach. Take him down. Molly music. We have a play of the year coming. Play of the year part two, play of the year part one, if you remember, the Indiana-Western Kentucky over, which we got close to the end of the game. 
Play of the year is coming. We have a bunch of ones we just simply can't play yet. We may or may not play them. You know how it goes. You got to check the Instagram page to see if we're going to be getting on those games. Let's just get to those first before we get into the free that are absolutely going to be played. and They've already been played. Let's start off with Baylor. So Baylor traveled. Though TCU is now going to see Baylor. TCU just fired Gary Patterson after 67,000 years of him coaching. And usually when this happens, people like to bet against those teams. Not me. Matter of fact, especially in instances where the players hate the coach, which happened right here. The alumni couldn't stand him. The players couldn't stand him. He got way too tyrannical in the way he coached. The the local media didn't like him. It was time to go. And now they play in-state rival Baylor coming off another win. And they're ranked and all this stuff. They're getting six and a half points. We will absolutely, well, not absolutely, but if we do play it, it is definitely TCU or nothing. We're going to wait on the six and a half because we think we're going to get a better line. Navy, if you have not noticed, Navy's offensive line is healthy again. Not only are they covering their winning games outright, they give Cincinnati all they wanted. They beat Tulsa outright last week. This team is healthy and they can go. They're getting 21 points at Notre Dame. My God. That, that, it's, it, that's so many points, it scares me away almost. But just this game might unfold exactly how we think. We might get better than 21. We're not going to get penalized. We're going to wait. I'd rather have 21 and a half. ULL plays tonight. We're looking at that over. Uh, the Raging Cajuns, who are ranked once again. I forgot about the Futures Report card, but then again, I was wrong again because more teams had buys last week. So we're going to have to do it next week. What will be more of the 60% report card because now everyone will have played after this week. We'll have a better idea there. But ULL on their way to hitting their future there. That total looks juicy tonight, so be sure and check the Instagram page. And, of course, Memphis. Memphis is playing Southern Millionaires University. Opened up at 7.5, got all the way down to 5.5. Now it's at 4.5. Something weird going on here, but we need to check on there's some injuries on both sides, some apparent COVID. We need more definition in the Memphis Southern Millionaires game, so be Instagram page for that. And last but not least, LSU. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to play it. I'm not saying we're not. But at the same time, I mean, just keep your eyes open for that one uh, as the Tigers getting a rack of points. We'll be looking closely at that. Anyway, here are the three picks. Let's cue it up, baby. What do you say? Yes, yes, that's right. We're going back to Florida State. I don't care what anyone says. Jordan Travis, who now is their guy at quarterback, has been playing great. They got totally robbed at Clemson last week. If you had Florida State last week, plus nine and a half, you're on suicide watch. Basically, almost after trailing by no more than seven the entire game, they're down by three. And they have some stupid lateral play. They get scooped up by Clemson and scored as the clock expires. What a garbage way to lose. That is absolutely terrible. They play the mighty North Carolina State at home. They're catching two and a half. Opened up at three. Got under three, under three to two and a half. That is a huge red flag. We'll take the two and a half points on the home underdog here in Florida State. As we look down to trounce North Carolina State. Throw all over them. They have no answer for Jordan Travis. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what the young Noel can do right there. The Packers. We have to take the Packers seven and a half at Kansas City. You know it, bitch. 325 Central Standard Time, the game of the week that was the game last week with Tampa and the Saints will now be at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, We're going to have Jordan Love at the helm, his first career start, and I think it's going to be a smashing success. We like the Packers to win the game outright. I actually took the alternate line, Packers minus 9.5 plus 650. That's right. I put a little unit on that. You can as well. I think they're going to win the game outright. I tabbed the money line, and of course, we went huge getting 7.5 points. We're not going to pass up 7.5. 
and the play of the year. Wake Forest, ninth in the playoff seedings. First place in the ACC, undefeated Wake Forest, who scored more points the last two games than most teams have all year, open up an underdog at 4-4 four four North Carolina. A team that got blown out by Florida State, a team that has got the shit kicked out of them all year, and one of the most disappointing teams of the year. Sam Howell last week showed his nuts, threw for 350, ran for 120. He's still one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback, coming out of this draft. North Carolina opens up as a favorite. How do you not take a look at that and go, wait, what? How is that possible? I'll tell you why it's possible. The same exact thing why Appalachian State opened a one-point favorite over Coastal two weeks ago. We talked about that. Is the same reason. They're telling you who the better team is. They're not telling you who's going to win, who's going to cover, but they're telling you North Carolina is a better football team than Wake Forest in Chapel Hill. And everyone I know ran to Wake Forest. And because of that, not just because it's contrarian, this is going to be their last chance to show out. This is the only game they have left to play for. North Carolina might blow the doors off Wake Forest, even though they have no center. I don't care. I think Sam Howell wills this team to victory of North Carolina State. Excuse me. If North Carolina can just force two or three punts, they might not punt themselves. And they run Wake Forest out the gym. Pay attention to Bay- uh, the Baylor game. Navy, Memphis, ULL, LSU may be posted on Instagram waiting on injuries in a better line. Florida State on the docket, plus the two and a half. The Packers with Jordan Love, the young Utah State Aggie getting his first start, plus the seven and a half and some alternate lines there if you want to get freaky. And last but not least, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Minus 135 on the money line. Minus the 135. Minus two and a half for the show's sake. But for me, I took the money line. We'll have to lay the two and a half for the show's sake. But the play of the year will, that ticket, minus the 135. Outright. Let's do it. Bro Exotic will not be joining the show today. He could not make it. Tommy Bench will be coming on shortly. Um, this is just a no-brainer. So if you go on the Drudge Report, if you didn't know, Matt Drudge used to be, I guess, deemed the big conservative um, you know, blog guy and one of the news you know, has all these places you can click and all this, and he's just gone completely crazy. He hates Trump. That's fine. I totally get it. Uh, but uh, in the wake of the Virginia <laughs> uh, governor getting kicked um, to the curb, Yunkin winning, the front says non-Trump Republicans victorious in Virginia. So here we go. Non-Trump Republicans. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, no. Uh, I guarantee you, recently Trump polled about 89% with Republicans. Nearly everyone that voted in that election with the R behind their name probably does like Donald Trump. Uh, there's no such thing as a non-Trump Republican, really. That's just an independent. So I'm glad I could correct you there, Matt. You are white bitch of the week. You will not make the awards banquet Honestly, because I don't feel like looking at your stupid hat. Hey, nice hat. Hey, Whitey, where's your hat? Matt Drudge, white bitch of the week. Tommy Bench jumping on the sports antelope. I'm sorry the Virginia governor elections did not go your way. I know you were wanting the Democrat way, being as where you're a newly converted Democrat. Maybe you can tell everyone else now how you feel about your political sides as now you've changed completely turncoat. If you and I were in person right now, you'd be on your way to the hospital in about 30 seconds for comments <laughs> like that. 
I wouldn't, and I and I feel I could justify it to a judge. I would just say, Your Honor, he he said these horrific things about my character, <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I heard the helicopters coming over the west side of Fallujah, and I blacked out, and I don't know what happened for the Stars next three blasted. and a half minutes. I just had an absolute flashback. Last night <laughs> was a phenomenal night for many reasons, and I'll I'll start with my lovely, amazing, beautiful wife, who grew up in the Atlanta area. And when that bandwagon was heading by and the Braves were, were in the championship series on their way to the world series, she made sure to jump back on that bandwagon and talk about what a fan she's been. Now she feels justified because she was a genuine fan back in the nineties, but, but I can tell you she was, I know she was, I I know, but in the 14 years we've been married, I'm not sure we've ever talked about the Braves uh in those in those 14 years but anyway it's okay though bro that's it's, okay. look and, and even to a, a non-baseball aficionado such as myself uh, playoff baseball is exciting world series baseball is exciting when it really gets to that every pitch matters it's exciting so i we were getting into it let our kids stay up late a couple of nights they were getting excited so to watch the Bra- and, and I mean the Braves jumped out to a lead and they never looked back last night. So it was it was really exciting. And the idea that that commissioner is going to have to hand that trophy, that World <laughs> Series trophy, to that team, that city that he attempted to cuck, but in reality, at the end of the day, he essentially cucked himself. He cucked himself moving the the all-star game out of Atlanta, moving it to Denver, the whitest major city on the planet, practically. Might even be whiter than Toronto. It is. It is. To give you any perspective. I used to live there. It is whiter than anything in Canada. It is white. Trust me. Keep going. I'm sorry. Keep going. So that's exciting. So that made for an exciting backdrop to the evening. Then we had these political races. And, And look. By now, I'm not breaking any news here. You're listening to this on Thursday morning. You know what happened. The Republican won in Virginia. But, but we're going to do a little bit deeper dive into this, and we're going to make sure you know the, the full story of what happened. So a couple things. Staying on Virginia. Not only did the Republican win by two and a half points, the lieutenant governor, an African-American, female, immigrant, veteran, small business owner, woman, did I mention female woman had a campaign flyer of her holding an AR 15. What an effing hammer. I (laughs) love it. I love it. And when she runs for governor four years from now, I I think I'm going to donate to her campaign. She, I, I just, I mean, Republicans, we are so racist. We are so racist. This is how racist we are. We elected an African-American female lieutenant governor position. That's how racist we are. Oh, and the attorney general is a Cuban-American in Virginia. Again, bitter racists, bitter clingers there in the state of Virginia. So uh, let's let's talk a couple of numbers just to give a little bit more of a backdrop. I already mentioned the Republican won by two and a half points. Look, you can go out there and look in all the crosstabs and see all the, well, white evangelicals went Republican 80% and White college-educated women were still Democrat, but white women overall. You, you can get a – I'm just going to give you a couple of, couple of ones. The Latino vote, 55-45 Republican. Mr. Belts, what do you think would happen on the national level 
if in 2024 the Latino vote nationwide goes 55-45 Republican. Okay, let me go and say this. This would redefine the term mandate. Let's not even talk about African Americans. If you give, if you give again, you're giving me 55 45. 55 45. 55 45. I would say that DeSantis wins in a blowout worse than what we saw in Ronald Reagan his first term in 1982. That's which, would, which is tough to, which is 1980, which is tough to beat. Uh, okay, thank you for, God, I knew I was off. Okay, 1980. So, so instead of a mandate, it would be an ombre date. Right, or amigo date. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, I don't know I, what the word. Me there. You see, you triggering them. Little, little pun. Little pun there. Little, yeah. no. So, so that's that's fifty-five forty-five. Nobody saw that coming. All right, quick breakdown. Two thousand nine, oh, or excuse me, two thousand eight. Obama wins Virginia by eight points. Okay, he's the the, the fresh face. So fresh, so face. Um, but in 2009 Virginia governor's race, it swings back to the Republicans, 17 points. Now, that is, that is a 25-point swing from a Democrat winning, winning the presidency to a Republican winning the governorship. Now, something to keep in mind before people get too excited. The Democrat candidate in that particular race was a very weak candidate. So he, he, was, he was not a great candidate. He's, he's done nothing since then politically. Uh, he's a relative. He was an unknown coming, kind of coming into it. He was hoping to just ride Obama's coattails. He hasn't done anything since then. In 2020, Joe Biden won by 10 points. Okay, so Joe Biden won. <laughs> get this. He won Virginia by more points than Obama. So I think that I think that leads leads you to the analysis that Virginia has become more blue, and everybody kind of agrees with that. Virginia is now considered just a blue state. It was red, then it became purple, and now it's very quickly. It is a blue state for all intents and purposes. So the fact that a Republican won by two and a half points, that, that's a 12 and a half point swing. And you're saying, well, but it was a 26 point swing years ago. Well, again, 26 point swing, weak Democrat candidate. Here you had a Democrat candidate that is such a member of the Democrat machine, he once left his wife in labor to go raise a million dollars for the Clintons back in the 90s. Yikes. Check the story. True. Bragged about it. He bragged about it. That that's how dedicated he was to raising Back's money for the true. Clintons. So... That's an incredible thing. And, and, and what I take away from it is a couple of things, specifically in Virginia. When Republicans run, when you actually have to talk about issues, Republicans win, period, full stop. You can convince more people to get on board with Republican ideas and true conservative ideas than Democrat ideas. And, and, and we see this elsewhere in the country. We all know Minneapolis, defund the police, voted down, voted down like 65, 35. Oh, by the way, the people most heavily advocating for voting that proposition down was a, was a group of black citizens, the grassroots black citizens getting together and saying, we're, no, we're not doing this defund the police thing. Um, so th that's interesting. Even in New York State, a uh, same day voter registration initiative was on the ballot for their state constitution. That was voted down. And a, another initiative um, related to voting I hate this. I'm drawing a blank on it. I'll come back to it. But an, another voting related thing was was voted down. Oh, uh, no, no excuse. Absentee ballots. The people of New York, again, one of the bluest states in the country, said, no, you should need a reason to get an absentee ballot. Otherwise, you should go there in person. They voted that down. Now, again, low turnout, but whatever. If, if Democrats cared that much, they would have gotten out and, and voted for it. Uh, state of Pennsylvania, every statewide judicial race went Republican. Every single one. 
Okay, if you boy, if you don't think Pennsylvania, if you're if you're a Republican running for governor in Pennsylvania, you've got that teed up nicely for 2022. My favorite thing is actually in the state of New Jersey. Now, look, uh, by now we know the the Democrat won by one point. Now, keep in mind, Joe Biden won that state by 16 points. The fact that a Democrat governor could only win by one percentage point under a political against a political newcomer, a Republican, that should tell you something. But the best story out of New Jersey is the fact that a truck driver, a retired truck driver who spent a total of $163 on his campaign, and half of that was to buy coffee and donuts for his staff at Dunkin' Donuts. The other half was for flyers and business cards. He ousted the state Senate president, so that the Democrat head of the state Senate in New Jersey, an incumbent, lost by about 2,000 votes. It was like 32,000 to 30,000 to a guy who spent 150 bucks, retired truck driver. Are, are you kidding? I mean, if, that, if that's not sort of the populist, just get those that are in power out of power, <laughs> I don't know what is. So, so, all right, look, again, you can go on. You, you can get hours and hours of podcasts talking about, you know, splitting these numbers and splicing these and dicing those. Where do we go from here, right? That's the question we should be asking where, where do we go from here what's the next year look like now I, i've made this point before on the sports antidote on the podcast and i felt I, I think you'll agree there are smart people on the other side they're not all idiots okay right yeah of course i mean there, um, there has to be i mean yes right they're not they're yes. not all we just disagree with them we have a different we have different philosophies. But you about even the said like last week, like you have all these people in like Ivy League schools that are kind of like we say indoctrinated, but they're still really smart. Right. right? They possess they raw intellect. They have to be. Right. They're, they, these are not stupid people. We no, just we no. disagree with them on worldview. We disagree with the phil- philosophical viewpoint of the role government should play in your life. We disagree on how we want to you know, raise families, what kind of world we want to live. Okay, but they're not stupid. So I, I have got to believe right now in, in conference rooms in you know, the Hampton Inn outside of McLean, Virginia, and, and in all places throughout the country, and, and at every uh, political operatives conference room, they're, they're sitting around with stale Chinese takeout, and they're trying to talk about what happened. And I've got to believe that somebody in the room has, has the courage to stand up and say, look, we went too hard, too far, too left, too quick. It, it's just that simple. And I've got to think some of the other people in the room Can you will run shake that their back? head. Run that back? Wait, I they went that too far, too hard, too left, too quick. <laughs> just, 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 I mean, that's what she said. No, Ooh. but it's... That's what it is. They went too hard left, too far to the left, too left, and they tried to do it too quick. You know, the, the, the truth is, unfortunately, we are a country that is creeping to the left. Every now and then you might get Ronald Reagan or a Donald Trump who kind of staunches the flow and, and the move toward the left. But it, it, it's almost we never really make progress moving back to the right. You know, it's, it's never we've never we haven't taken a meat cleaver to government in a long time. So it's, it's just we're slowing the rate of growth of government and slowing the rate of decline of personal liberties and things of that nature. So anyway, so, so let's go back to our conference room and some political consultants office building somewhere on K Street in Washington, D.C. Smart people sitting around. They do politics full time. All right, guys, we, we went too far to the left too quick. How do we recover from this? Because if we don't recover, 
in 2022, it's going to be a, a bloodbath. I think the politicos will be smart enough. The consultant class will be smart enough to say, we've got to look, let's get a win on that infrastructure bill. That'll show Joe's a moderate. It'll show he's backing off the whole holding everybody hostage with the social programs and the bigger $3 trillion thing. Let's get a win on the infrastructure package. Here's the problem that they are going to face. The activist base, and by the way, the base of either party, either the hardcore right-wing base for the Republicans or the hardcore left-wing base for the Democrats, they're the ones who energize the party. They're the people who donate money somewhat, yes, but they're the people who volunteer and knock on doors and hand out flyers and talk to their neighbors about going and voting. They're the folks who make the difference. And, and on the left, those left-wing activists, I mean, the, the ones who genuinely believe that defunding the police is a good idea, not the ones who just say it to try to pay lip service because they think it'll help win certain constituencies, but the people who actually believe those things, the people who die hard believe that global warming is going to kill us all tomorrow. Not just the people who pay lip service to it because they think it'll get their constituencies revved up or they don't want to be viewed as being anti-science. So they talk about it. You know, the people who make sure they have a mask on whenever there's cameras around, but in all reality, don't take COVID that seriously in their personal lives when the cameras are off. I'm talking about the hardcore left-wing activists. I don't think they will. I don't. My prediction is they're, what they're going to take out of yesterday is not, well, we, we tried, we went too left, too far, too quick. What they're going to take out of it is we need to go further. We need to do more to break down the, the cisgender heteronormative patriarchy that's holding mm. back with the racist blah, 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 blah. And where do I get that from? Buffalo, New York mayoral race. Okay, that seems very obscure. Why would we go there, Belts? Why would we talk about this? Oh, that's the first Muslim, right? He might be, but what I'm more focused oh, on is, is the fact... That's fine. He is a that, Muslim, but go ahead. He's a okay. Muzzy. He's a Muzzy. He's a Muzzy. So the incumbent mayor was a Democrat. He lost his Democrat primary to an actual socialist, not like a democratic socialist, not like a, well, I kind of like Muzzy. the European method, but lost the Democrat primary to a full-blown, dyed-in-the-wool, self-admitted socialist. Muslim. So then he started, the, the incumbent mayor, excuse me, the incumbent mayor of Buffalo, started a writing campaign, and he won. So the socialist did not win. The incumbent Democrat mayor won who is, is plenty far to the left, but is viewed as not being far enough to the left. All right, so what, what am I trying to extrapolate out of that? Here's what I'm trying to extrapolate out of that. You have a situation where the person in the Democrat who was able to get out of the Democrat primary and win the Democrat primary was a socialist. But there's enough people, probably you know, most of the independents in Buffalo and probably some Republicans decided, geez, Let's at least I, I'd rather write in for a somewhat standard left wing Democrat than a full blown socialist. Right now, imagine pulling that stunt in some purple district in Virginia or, or some purplish district outside of San Antonio or Dallas in, in a very red state or fairly red state like Texas. Imagine pulling a stunt like that in a, in a statewide race in say, in Arizona or a Georgia. Now, I don't know if the Democrats do that, but. I do think their activist base will start pushing for that more and more. One last interesting tie out in Virginia. 
Glenn Youngkin actually also did a little bit better than Trump with African-American voters. I believe he got into the mid, mid-teen percentages, uh, whereas Trump was at, the, I think, 8 or 10% in, in Virginia. You want to talk about a doomsday situation for Democrats. Imagine, imagine a world, you know, reminds me of Twilight Zone. I was recently down at Disney and Tower of Terror. You know, imagine a world where Latinos vote for Republicans, 55-45. And in that world, African-Americans also vote Republican, 35-65. I mean, you want to talk about a scenario where Democrats would just be, I mean, Democrat political operatives would just be jumping headfirst off of tall buildings. Let either either of those or both of those things come true, and, and it's it's game over, game over. So, a, a lot to take out of the races from last night. There's a lot of dissecting that'll go on, and they'll be talking about white women in the suburbs and all. I'm interested in talking about what's happening next, and I want to see how Democrats react. To be honest, I'll be terrified if Joe Biden cobbles together and says, "You know what? We got to put the social spending on hold. Let's get infrastructure done." Because then that will show, oh, man, the smart people got through and they're the ones that, that, you know, they're going to try to do the Clintonian triangulation uh, that he did after Newt Gingrich took over. And he's going to try to look moderate. And ah, that's not going to be good. I I have my doubts about that actually occurring. And I do think what we're just going to see is more radicalism out of the left and especially the left wing base of the Democrat Party. And then here's the other thing you got to ask yourself. If 2021 is truly a harbinger for things to come in 2022. Do you think Joe Biden and Democrats will make things better, the same, or worse? Do you think inflation will be better, the same, or worse in 12 more months? Do you think the economy will be better, the same, or worse in in 12 months? Do you think the supply chain issues will be better, the same, or worse in 12 months? By the way, personal anecdote, I was on the phone with a LED manufacturer this morning. One of the guys was in Hong Kong. He hasn't left Hong Kong in two years, even though he used to travel a lot. The guy based out of Canada. They, they both work for the same company. They were relaying that their their chip suppliers are being told by the semiconductor manufacturers that they anticipate the semiconductor chip issue to still be an issue well into the first quarter of 2023. Uh, now, uh, if you think the supply chain is going to be humming along by next November. And if you think Biden's going to be able to do anything, and, and frankly, this is, it's almost on the order of the coronavirus where I say, look, I don't think there's a whole lot Trump could have done to make it any better or worse. Just like, I don't think there's a whole lot Biden can be doing right now. I, I, I don't know how much Biden could or couldn't be doing with the supply chain, but it, it's, it's ridiculous to think it'll get so much better that they'll be able to take credit for it. The best they can hope for is it doesn't get that much worse. And even then, that's that's going to look like a void in leadership and a lack of competency. So, and if things go worse, I mean, geez, if we're in a recession in November 2022, I, I'm going to say it right now. If we're in a recession, and that is a technical term, that means two quarters of con- economic contraction. If we are in a recession leading into the November 22 elections, I'm going to make a prediction, 70 seats flip in the House of Representatives. Right now, I think we're on on track to see between 35 and 50 if we're in a recession, I bet it'll be 70 seats. So there's our takeaways from last night. Great night. Looking forward to see what the next year holds here. Yeah, me too, man. Anyway, uh, Eagles, huge win last week, bro. What's going on there? Huge W. Um, my son calls them the Dior Lions. 
I don't I don't correct him because I, I think that's a hilarious way to say it. You know, we're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's obvious. It's obvious we're we're going to the Super Bowl. See, you say that every year. Some someday, sooner or later, you're going to be right. So that's that's the approach I'm taking right now. Well, I hit that one time. You hit that one time, right? So that's right. Go. That's anyway. right. All right, bro. Well, guess what? Uh, November 11th, we're going to see the uh, the Hodge twins. twins. The Hodge Twins, we're going to be seeing them. It's going to be amazing in Dallas. I can't wait for this. I can't believe as many people don't know about the Hodge Twins, but whatever. If you don't know about them, HodgeTwins.com. Check them out. advertising for someone that does not care. What's that? Check them out. Tell all, yeah, all the Andosians, you should check them out. They're hilarious. Yeah, the HodgeTwins.com. Yeah, we pay good money to see them in a couple weeks. Anyway, uh. Tommy, thanks for jumping on the Sports Analyst, bro. I guess we'll see you next week, hopefully, right? Sounds good. Yep, out here. All right, homie. Thanks for joining the Sports Antelope, episode number 73, In the Den. And LSU, make no mistake, is in the den. And Saban's creeping on down, coming in for the kill. Let's see what happens. 25 and 17 on the year, 59.6%, still as good as it gets. Be sure and check us out on Instagram, at the Sports Antelope, for the updates, for the picks, and for funny posts, because we like to have funny posts. Be sure and check out my boy, Bro Exotic, too. He's been doing big things on Instagram. We look forward to having him back next week. Keep it real, Anadotians. Just broken into a slang, but it's just the dialect that I select when I hang.